Hey, I'm Eldervine and welcome back to my podcast, Growing Pains. Before we begin this episode, um, I think it's really important to just address what is going on in the world right now. Um, I don't feel comfortable recording this podcast without urging listeners to be thinking and taking action against social injustices within the black community right now. Um, We must be active allies. And if you're listening to this, then I'm assuming you enjoy podcasts. So um, I'd just like to tell you about a few podcasts that we should be listening to to educate ourselves on the history of racism, white privilege, and the experiences of black people. So I'm going to tell you a few different podcasts that you can listen to. First one is Girls Talk, hosted by Adwa Aboa, um, in particular episode 21, where Ore Ogunbi, where she talks about being the only black girl in the room at Cambridge. 1619, which is an insight into the four centuries since American slavery began and the legacy that continues to plague black Americans. Code Switch, produced by journalists of colour. Each episode takes on complex and sensitive topics like the impact of housing segregation on inequality, police brutality, interracial adoption and blackface in the media. Girls Like Me, which is an indie feminist talk show that explores the challenges of living life as a modern African woman, from gender roles and expectations to dating, raising kids and pursuing a career. And... The last one that I've got on here is Still Processing, which is a brilliant podcast where Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham try to understand the pleasures and pathologies of America in 2020. They dive into TV, movies, art, music and the internet to find things that move them to tears or in anger. So I really do urge you to check all of these out and let me know of any other podcasts around some of the topics that I should be listening to too. Thank you. Okay, I am so honoured and excited to have such a special guest with me today on this episode. Today, digging up all the discomforts of adolescence with me, we have illustrator, author and social activist Florence Gibbon. So, hey Florence, hey. So I've been um, following, following? (laughs) following Florence's career for a few years now and her work has honestly and truly impacted my life and way of thinking. I think nowadays there are so many influencers who just don't understand the weight of their influence and the impression a lot of their posts have on their followers, especially their young female followers, which is why someone like Florence is so important and special where her platform is used to empower and educate her followers on issues of sexuality, race and gender. I know a lot of my fans and people who listen to this podcast are young women and I feel like Florence's work and especially her new book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, are resources that I wish I had when I was a teenager. So I'm so glad that you could join me, Florence. It's so amazing. I followed you on social media for like every year as well and I'm just like surprised that we haven't even worked together yet. I know, I know. I'm so glad that we're doing this finally. So I'll just tell you quickly about what this is about. As you know, I'm a singer-songwriter and my main inspiration when it comes to my songwriting are my experiences navigating through adolescence. So I decided it would be a cool idea to invite people to the studio or to Zoom and chat about their own coming of age experiences. So to break the ice, I usually ask guests to bring a photo of them from like their teenhood in the midst of the awkwardness of adolescence. But I understand that you've got a bit of a laptop malfunction. So I'm just gonna ask you to um, just describe that person who you were like, to describe myself and my adolescence, I guess up until I was about 15 years old, I was very much living my life in survival mode, right? You live most of your life out of your subconscious mind anyway. I was living in survival mode. And what that means to me is not questioning things, right? 
I was, I know I've actually definitely always questioned absolutely fucking everything, but, <laughs> but, but I was um, not taking action on it, right? I was feeling uncomfortable. I was understanding my position in the world as a woman slowly and uncomfortably, but I hadn't interrogated all of my decisions that I make about my appearance. And I think a lot of the decisions I made about my appearance when I was younger was to achieve validation from society, from men, from the male gaze and what the world expects of young women. And it wasn't until I reflected on all the painful beauty procedures I was doing, you know, I was like wearing push-up bras, waist trainers, yeah. wearing ridiculously high heels, wearing bodycon dresses, all of this kind <laughs> of like positioning of like a woman's body into this trophy-esque figure. For what? You know, it's like that didn't make yeah. me happy, but it was how I imagined men would want to see me. And then that's why I did it. So I think if I was to describe my younger self, it was this young girl who was constantly living in performance mode but not performing for herself mm. and her own authentic desires it was performing for, mm-hmm. the, for the desires of what I assumed men and society wanted of me it's so interesting I feel like that's something like I've definitely struggled with as well and still struggle with now is like how I present myself like growing up I was wearing those bodycon dresses going to parties and heels and stuff I think once I opened up about my sexuality probably that was like the turning point for me but I still go through times now where I'm like I've dressed way too tomboy this week. I need to have a week of femininity. And I'm like, where does that come from? I don't know. It's it's so interesting. That was exactly the same for me. And I actually wrote about that in my book. I wrote that the turning point for me was when I finally started to tell people, my family, my relatives and my friends about my sexuality. I finally found room to question all aspects of my identity, how much of what I do is in line with my desires. And I think as women, we're never questioning what we want. It's always, what does the world want of me? What can I do to elicit a positive response from the world and from the people around me? And that follows in through our relationships and our friendships as well. Like we're taught that self-sacrifice is some kind of noble thing. And that follows into our gender expression like beauty Mm. is pain that phrase stuck with me throughout my entire adolescence and I internalized it so much beauty is pain Kate Moss saying nothing tastes as good as skinny feels which she herself has now retracted that statement because she realized how damaging that was that was like my mantra for real when I was younger and I think we we internalize all these ideas so we get to a point and especially if you're queer because you're performing heteronormativity for so long as well on top of this right you get to this point when you're like who am I? <laughs> but I think it's, it's, only, it's only healthy and it's only going to be beneficial for you to question this always. I often find though that when I am in spaces where I'm, so I'm bisexual, but I rarely date men. And when I do date women, all non-binary people, I find that when I'm in those spaces where I am around queer people, that's where the real floss comes out because I don't feel that there are these gender roles, right? I feel like as queer people, we don't have a script. We don't have movies to watch, or at least we didn't grow up with them telling us how to date queer women and how to do all this stuff. So we freestyle. And the only way we know how is to show up as our as our authentic self but when it's with men I feel like you know you're 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 encouraged to know quote unquote know your place right Mm. and you you end up shrinking and becoming this for me anyway for me I realized right with awareness I was like oh my god the way I am with men is disgusting like that is so embarrassing and it took that to be like I'm not shrinking myself around men again because also it's just Mm -hmm. the most heightened form of compromise is like playing this passive role to make him feel confirmed in his masculinity and not feel threatened by you. Mm 
So taking it back to like high school, where did you like place yourself amongst your peers in high school? And what was like the high school experience like for you? Oh, it was fucking, fucking horrible, actually. Don't like to talk about it too much, like getting the details. But I was friends with this girl who was mass manipulator. Um, she had control over like a group of girls in school. And it's so stereotypical. But if you imagine the kind of uh, dynamics of the mean girls group, like there's, there's, yeah. a, there's a head, right? There's a head and then she has her army and she was awful to me. She could have got me to do anything, nothing that would have harmed others, but I would cover for her. It was a codependency. It was like I basically poured myself out into this friend and would have done anything for her to help her and to like meet her needs. And like, you know, when it's like, it was like emotionally abusive friendship, right? She would be doing all kinds of things with guys and with drugs and with booze and all this kind of stuff. And I was like her anchor, which is so disgusting and so codependent and is not healthy at all. Um, Anyway, so that was the dynamic. Then our friendship kind of fizzled as I started to realize my worth, right? That always happens. And then she would do more things to kind of drag me back in and drag me back to needing her and putting herself in positions of needing to be saved to kind of get me back. Anyway, it was really messy. Then she found out something about me that I was really struggling with and she spread the rumor around school and then isolated me. So it went from being in this like really tight knit friendship group where I was uncomfortable and I was breaking away. And then she found out something that I was struggling with and told the whole school about it. So no one spoke to me. So that was for about three years, like 14 to 16. So two years, like year nine, 10 and 11 or whatever it is. And I was kind of forced to be on my own for a few years. I made a few friends in like my Spanish class and stuff. But apart from that, I was alone for a few years and I learned to love myself in those years. I was either going to completely let this consume me or I was going to use this skill that I had acquired of extreme empathy for other people and apply it to my fucking self. And that's exactly what I did. And I looked after myself and I started practicing mindfulness and I learned a lot about feminism during that time and about internalized misogyny and I was learning about insecurity projection I tried to understand my bully like I tried to understand why she was doing this and then using that helped me navigate everyday situations I would go to school and they would like make noises or shout at me from the back of the classroom and I would like imagine myself in this bubble that nothing could get in you know like all of these coping mechanisms of just like being this person who was navigating this at school I think young floss was just she was like gagging for community political conversations and angry women I love angry women I surround myself with angry women I date angry women I love angry women I love them so much and I think anger is always condemned especially on marginalized women like black women in particular and it's it's something there's this quote that says we're so quick to condemn anger but much more reluctant to examine the roots and the root of anger is so righteous i mean like look at what's happening right now everyone's talking about the riots in america and saying that it's over the top and it's like wow you really draw the line at someone looting walmart but not black lives and it's this is happening all the time and people people uh white people who have only just woke up to this were kind of looking at it and going oh well a black man was killed by the cops that's awful but why the riot (laughs) it's like there's the there's the root right there's roots to this anger that we're not talking about or rather white people are only just now talking about i think it's always really important to extend empathy to see someone's anger and think why is this person angry did you ever reach out to that girl or fuck no (laughs) 
I think that's like one thing I never understand. It's like, why aren't we taught how to navigate those toxic friendships in school and like towards my last two years of school? I mean, I, it was kind of all right to begin with. And then we had like this big WhatsApp group chat, which is just like so toxic. <laughs> I got kicked out. I, I basically kind of like went off the radar a bit because I, I just came out and met my girlfriend at the time and kind of like lost touch with my friends a bit and I, it felt like when I met my girlfriend it was like the first time I was like truly being myself so I kind of just like put all my energy into that and maybe to them I did neglect my friendships in to to like pursue this relationship but to me it wasn't it wasn't like that and my friends like kicked me out of the group chat and like <laughs> if you were dating a guy right wouldn't that wouldn't be it like they all had boyfriends as well and I'm like wow exactly so that was um weird and I only got added back in like after I signed my record deal, which is so funny. <laughs> That's some tea. <laughs> we don't talk as much about abusive friendships, I think. Friend breakups. Yes, I do it all the time. And it's actually really radical through the lens of how things are in our society and how they're normalized. Breaking up with friends because you deserve better is radical because not a lot of people do it. A lot of people, you end up with the, you like, stuck to these people you just drag along resenting for years because oh well I've known her for years so you know oh she makes these jokes but she's that's just her mm, no I'm, I'm not about that anymore I can't I'm not clogging up my life with people who aren't actively trying to be better people or at least open to learning I'm all for letting people learn and grow because I do that every day I make mistakes all the time I fuck up I apologize and I amend that and come back with correct behavior but then there are some right. things where you realize what was I in this friendship for I think it's with friendships we feel like we can't have boundaries right so I say me and my friends we have established very strong boundaries the close friends I can count them on my hand right we all have very strong established boundaries where we don't feel pressured to reply to each other because we've got our own shit going on especially right now we say no to each other we say we're not available for each other FaceTime 24 7 it's like can I do a FaceTime yeah I'm busy right now though can we do it at 5 p.m you know it's all these little yeah. things which tell you I'm here for you but I'm not available for you 24 7 just because we're in a lockdown yeah. or learning that you can set boundaries and and you're not responsible for the other person person's reaction that is a radical act of self-love for you this is the thing I have ended up resenting incredible friendships just because I say yes to them all the time you know I, I would like moan to my mum oh I'm always doing this stuff for my friends you know and then I heard myself and I was like you don't have to say yes all the time you can say no and then when I did start saying no to my friends they were like Floss I had no idea that you felt this way and I was like mm, yeah. I just, <laughs> I've just been like resentful this whole time for no reason you know but I think it's just boundaries and it's a way of maintaining patriarchy that women have zero fucking boundaries because we'll just do whatever for the gratification that someone needs and wants us, right? And I think my whole life I was afraid of coming across as a bitch. I was afraid of being this bitch and then it actually took my ex-boyfriend calling me a bitch to be like, oh my God, this is what I've been afraid of. And he called me a bitch because I said no and then I realized what a bitch really was. It's a woman who sets boundaries and then I dumped him. And now I've just been on this massive journey of growth. It's been so fucking incredible. Yeah, sometimes it takes a word like bitch to really burst your bubble, you know? Even though much, much worse happened to me in that relationship. It was being called a bitch to burst that bubble and for me to see like, wow, I really deserve better. A whole new person is born in the moment that you say, I deserve better for the first fucking time. 
this is one something I wanted to ask is because I feel like teen years are like rife with awkward moments and embarrassing moments and I was just wondering how did you overcome embarrassing and awkward moments as a teen oh my god so when I was in Plymouth I would used to like dress up I've had like many different phases like I'm like Madonna hun like I'm just like changing all the time when I was in Plymouth I used to like back comb my hair and like put it to all one side right <laughs> and I wore these big glasses and fingerless gloves so, like snakeskin gloves <laughs> and I used to take pictures like this and I used to put my lip like this I used to like what I would do with my lip is I would just like point it up and like it's like a fuck you kind of point up the lip <laughs> anyway and then everyone would share these pictures around i'm from plymouth in devon everyone would share these pictures around and be like what the fuck is Florence given doing anyway and then i put up this picture with her biting my middle finger and i wrote on my finger bite me <laughs> <laughs> and then people would come up to me in like plymouth city center and be like bite me and i would be like yeah whatever haters gonna hate <laughs> so that was that was a big cringy moment a thing I learned that was wrong was um, on my last day of school when I was 16 years old, I wore a Native American headdress to school as a fancy dress costume. That is both cringy and both problematic. Again, speaks to the fact that I was not taught the... A lot of people weren't mm. taught about the history of colonization. But again, mm. that's one rooted in privilege because if I was na- Native American, I wouldn't have a choice of knowing that history. But yeah, those are two things. Cringy and problematic. <laughs> we grow and we make mistakes and then we educate other people on them. Yeah, absolutely. I was doing an interview the other day and we were talking about, um, it was like a Pride Anthem interview and I was kind of like not sure whether to say th- this song because I think, you know, the song is somewhat problematic in itself. But I kissed a girl, Katy Perry. This was my most embar- one of my most embarrassing moments in school was um, every person who like, I guess not graduated, but you got like a certificate at the end of school to say that you'd finished school. And the senior prefects chose songs for everyone to walk down in front of the whole school in front of everyone right I know this is so traumatic like at the time I kind of just like laughed it off but so and no one knew what the songs were and um at this stand up call my name Olivia Devine and then oh here's the doom 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 I kiss a girl and I was like and I just came out all the teachers were watching I was like no man and I stood up and I was like fuck I've just got to like fucking do it pulled my skirt up and I was like yeah fuck it well, so you see it's all about perspective because that embarrasses you I'm like that's iconic <laughs> yeah it was pretty iconic but it's also a bit traumatizing that they thought that they could pick that song for me what was a defining moment of your adolescence I think I always say, say this to my friends basically I never thought that I had one and now I realize through telling my friends that I do and it's gonna sound so small but to me it was monumental when I was being bullied I've always loved music and I would come home just sit into my room like listen to my music my mum thought like was so worried about me because I was just in my room all the time but really I just love my own space and I would read this book on mindfulness and one of the notes in the book on mindfulness said go for a walk and do something out of your comfort zone and the concept of making yourself uncomfortable like it sounds horrible why would you live a life that is uncomfortable and I was like oh it's not making yourself uncomfortable and putting yourself in situations of danger it's stepping outside your comfort zone and it's doing things that can lead to growth because and there's another quote and it's um the comfort zone is a beautiful place but nothing ever grows there because if you stay inside this little space of comfort you're just going to be stagnant and i hate stagnancy so i walked to this park And at this time, I was like the height of my bullying in school. And I hadn't really done the internal work of like 
making myself feel better. And I was like, okay, what am I most afraid of? At that moment, I was most afraid of people judging me, especially the girls from my school. And I was like, what is something I could do that is so uncomfortable, but will make me feel really proud of myself and is just really embarrassing. So this is like a cringe moment, but I just laid in the middle of this field and it was like really sunny. And I just laid in the middle of this field. All the girls were like walking around, like, you know, like staring at me, whatever. Put my earphones in, listen to one song, wear the black keys. (laughs) And then I was like, if I can lay here for the entirety of the song and not give a fuck what these girls think about me what they're gonna say like what the fuck is she doing that I can do anything and I swear to god the courage that I have now to talk about the things I do was born in that moment because I just like denounced the need for other people's perceptions of me to match what they want to see I just got over it in that second and then I started to do more things outside of my comfort zone and even during this quarantine I've been so anxious about going on a bike ride because of I have a lot of social anxiety my profile's rising so I'm always anxious about people stopping me and all that kind of stuff now as well but there's also the social anxiety of street harassment and all this kind of stuff and also body image so it's it's weird it feels like being on a bike and watching people watch you is the heightened like female experience but because of the pandemic there's been no one on the streets and I've been able to work through that anxiety and go on bike rides and now I know that I can do it afterwards when um, people return to the streets so there's lots of moments where I think the moments where I love myself are the moments where I push myself outside of my comfort zone to live my life to the fullest extent possible you mentioned body image there what was your relationship with your your body like when you were a a teenager you know like when your body was changing and stuff appalling I would weigh myself religiously and yeah no I had a really bad relationship with my body and not to go too deep into it but I had an eating disorder and that was why the girls started bullying me so yeah it was awful and I think it's called body dysmorphia because actually you are skinny like you are slim but you look at yourself and you view yourself as not enough right so I could literally be a size six which is smaller I was smaller than that I was tiny and I still wanted to lose more weight and I've been reading the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf lately and she talks a lot about how losing weight for women is not about desirability it's not even about looking good when it gets to that point it's about control and it's about about needing to control and have control over how you're perceived and actually desexualizing yourself so that men don't view you in that way. Eating disorders are a disease, like it is a disease. Weight Watchers is a cult, all of this stuff. I've been reading lots about it and it's it's so messed up. And it's just another way of controlling women so that they spend their lives focusing on their desirability rather than their careers and furthering their own self-empowerment. It, they want to keep us focused on our bodies so that we're not really living in the present because we're too busy worrying about what we look like while we're doing stuff rather than doing stuff. That is no life worth living, seriously. And that's what patriarchy wants to make sure women do. We haven't even got the energy to fight patriarchy because we're not eating properly, you know? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. I mean, I remember like probably around 16 or something. I remember it was like, it was almost like a trend. Like everyone would have their like iPhone lock screens as like some, like a really thin girl. Like I can't believe we used to do that. I know. Yeah, I, I literally had an alarm on my phone that said don't eat. And it was actually in my mind a sign of strength. So gross. Mm hmm. When or what was your first existential crisis? I do have them a lot. My, <laughs> my last one was 
just after I dumped my boyfriend, I started dating women and I was like, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, heteronormativity is a cult. And then I realized about how how low the bar was for men in dating in terms of, because w- w- usually when you go on a date with a woman it's like the stuff that you realise and you're like oh my god and you feel so grateful for these little things like even like yeah. asking consent to do things like not even sexually mm-hmm. just like oh do you mind if I do this or and then you're like whoa the bar was so low for men that was like a huge realisation for me another huge realisation mm-hmm. for me was um, learning that I was used to be codependent and although I was in an abusive relationship. Part of me had to acknowledge, and this was really uncomfortable, that the abuse was not my fault, but also it was my responsibility to acknowledge that part of me still liked being needed and I needed someone to need me, right? That was really uncomfortable. But acknowledging that, going to therapy, reading books about it, that was how I learned that pattern. And again, I'm 21. So unlearning this stuff at a really young age is going to be so beneficial to the rest of my life. And Mm. also for my work as well, because I think self-love isn't self-love if it doesn't involve accountability. Also just pointing fingers at everyone else instead of using it as a mirror to kind of go, okay, but what am I doing that needs work on? That's like probably the biggest change in me from my teen years to like now is like looking inwards. Is there anything that you're like nostalgic about in your teen years? Is there anything that you miss at all? I don't know. It's it's that thing, isn't it? Not being aware of your own oppression. (laughs) Because when you're not aware of it, it eats at you more insidiously because it becomes more of your identity. I I think it's being aware of all this stuff. Like I can't enjoy anything anymore in terms of like, I can't watch anything without seeing the bullshit in it. I think it's the innocent quote unquote loss of innocence, but also it was never innocent to begin with. You were just unaware of it. I miss, okay, I guess I miss like going to house parties. I miss <laughs> seriously I miss going to house parties and just being like a dickhead do you know what I mean like I can't really do that anymore can't go to a house party and be a dickhead I want to do that what's my house party I want to be a dickhead like <laughs> I love that yeah making yeah making lots of mistakes and adolescence <laughs> and then the last question that I ask everyone is the big one and it's what would you tell your younger self if you got the opportunity to go back and talk to her? I'd like chuck my book over her head and whack it on her head. Seriously, that's why I've written it. That's literally the only reason yeah, why I've written yeah. my book. Is I'll just be like this. I think I would tell her, um, stop chasing male validation. It's never going to fill you. Because it's empty and it's always going to be at the cost of your authentic self. All the stuff you're worried about men liking you for, fuck it. All the stuff men, you think well, men will hate you for is where your power is. I say that like with my fucking chest. Like anything that women think men will hate, anything that you do that you think, oh, will a man like this? Probably not. That is where your power lies because it means you're doing a really fucking good job at yourself that the mainstream male gaze wouldn't like it. That means it's probably very authentic to you and you should do it if you feel safe and comfortable to do so. That's amazing. Thank you so much. You're you're the best. I love you. You're brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us. I know so many young people, especially young women, are going to listen to this and, you know, take really valuable lessons from this. Yeah, they will. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm Elle Divine and you've been listening to Elle Divine's Growing Pains. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify or wherever you find your favourite shows to be updated on each new episode.